On this prequel episode, we've got our Hunger Games fan reaction. We're learning about children's books and gender and previewing Hatchet. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We're in the middle of our summer series, and this prequel episode is going to be predominantly dominated by Hunger Games <laughs> feedback, because mm-hmm. you all had lots to say, and we're excited to hear everybody's feelings and opinions on the Hunger Games. So we're going to get right in to our patron shoutouts right now. First up, we have a new patron, not a new patron, but an upgrading patron, from the $5 level to the $15 Academy Award winning level, we'd like to give a huge shout out to V Frank. Thank you very much, V Frank, for upgrading your Patreon support. Uh, if you haven't already, do you know if they have recommended something? I believe so, yes. Okay. I was going to say, if you haven't recommended something, make sure you do that. But uh, it sounds like you may have already done so. It has been added to the list and will yes, be done. Yes, I, I believe they did. This was like like two weeks ago it was like yes, right after right we after recorded the prequel, the prequel for the hunger yeah, games yeah, perfect um so yep yeah, uh we'll be getting to that uh, next year probably but we will get yeah. to it uh we have our our everything scheduled out so we'll we'll get to it as soon as we can and as always we have our academy award winning patrons and they are v frank prop fund somebody else potentially changing their name no that's, the, that's the same person is is it yeah, the, the, oh. it's the same part. They changed their name from upgrading to fund Brian's pop, prop fetish to, to just prop to fund. Prop fund. Interesting, because I feel like they were in a different place in the. Maybe they weren't. Were they not in a different they're, place? I, in they're the order? always in the same order. Okay, I guess that's what confused <laughs> me. I thought they were somewhere else in the order. Never mind. Uh, prop fund: Ben Wilcox, Jeff Niederhofer, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Youngs, Gratch. Just Gretch, Shelby says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter. I kind of forgot about Jennifer. I kind of forgot that Jennifer Lawrence exists and Alina Dolitkalova. Thank you all so much, as we always do. Um, I, uh, has, what's Jennifer Lawrence done lately? Anything? Um, like what was her last big thing? She was probably in the, the most recent X Men movie. Yeah, like there was there was what Dark Phoenix came out. Like last couple of years, two ago? years ago. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's she's been anything major. I'm sure she's been in something smaller. Yeah, probably, or like a, you know. I'm sure she doesn't need to work. No, at this she point. also probably allows gets to work as much as she wants to. So that makes sense. Um, I did get. I wanted to mention it here. I, I sent them a message on Patreon. I don't know if they ever responded, but I did get it. I listened to the opening arguments episode. Mm-hmm. The like when they do their their Hall of Fame patron shoutouts. Uh, after we had the one who said uh, one of I don't remember who it was changed their name to uh, this film was lit is my favorite co- podcast I have to change this before OA records and they did not get it changed in time and they read it on, on opening <laughs> arguments and it made me chuckle <laughs> they laughed at it but um, I uh, I enjoyed it very much so thank you again I can't remember is that prop fund I don't know I think it was the, per- the person the who person always who changes, changes their, their name okay yeah. perfect well we appreciate it. Uh, I got a laugh out of it listening to opening arguments. All right. We've got a big old lineup of listener feedback. So let's get to our fan poll follow-up for The Hunger Games. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, you guys really came through for us this week. Boy, yes. 
Tons of votes. So many votes. I actually uh, think a, this, a lot for us. The most <laughs> votes we've ever gotten. Right? Yeah, I think it is Which the is most votes we've ever I gotten. Because I figured Twilight might have. Because I don't know. We, our listenership hasn't gotten a whole lot larger since we did Twilight. I don't think, at least. I could be wrong. Um, but the numbers wise, it looks mm-hmm. like it's around the same size listenership uh, since Twilight. And so I'm surprised that. Well, we got quite a few more votes on Twitter yeah. than usual. So I'm wondering if maybe somehow it got caught it in, got, yeah, it in got, a weird algorithm or something. Yeah, a weird <laughs> algorithm and more people saw it than usual. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> but we got lots of uh, lots of votes and uh, lots of feedback. So let's get into it. Uh, so on Patreon, we had nine votes for the book and zero for the movie. Mm-hmm. That will be a trend. <laughs> <laughs> Ian from Wine Country said, I loved the movie. Lawrence killed it as Katniss. Peta and Gail, meh. As you called out, Peta's camouflage was comical. I'm choosing the book because the first book was so good, it made me read the entire trilogy over one weekend while, play- while watching playoff football with my crush. I haven't read a book that made me ignore life like that since I stayed up literally all night reading Jurassic Park when I was 12. There you go. That's fun. Love to hear that about yeah. books. Uh, but they still voted for the book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. But they, because that was one of the things I was going to, I would be interested to see. And maybe we can do a separate follow up poll. Ian did provide this feedback, at least saying, I loved the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be interested to see, because everybody voted for the, not everybody, but well, spoilers. A lot of people Most voted people for voted the for the yeah. book. But I have a feeling that in general, this is a more enjoyed adaptation than some of the other ones yeah i think done, it was a, even though the book ran away with it yeah the, yes i think it was a trend from what i noticed that people were saying like well i really liked the movie but i just like the book right. more yeah well we can just let them say that i jumped the gun on this <laughs> but i this I, that was something i noticed too and i thought yeah. it was really interesting scorch pilot Vinny said okay i chose the book but I want to talk about the computer scene in the movie. This might not be the movie's intention, but I kind of thought, what if that information is wrong on purpose so someone would die due to the berries? Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I like that idea. I think it runs a little counter to the general premise, at least portrayed in the... I don't know how much it's uh, like alluded to in the movie um, in terms of the fact that the game makers generally try don't want the people dying from eating the wrong boring thing stuff. or boring yeah. stuff shall we say <laughs> uh, generally even though they do mention in the book that a lot of people do die of hunger and dehydration mm-hmm. and cold or you know exposure. i mean it's called the hunger games yes, and exposure and whatnot every year but generally they prefer you know the combat stuff right because it's more exciting um so it seems a little runs a little counter to that the idea that they would do that so that somebody died of the poison but it's, it's still i do like the idea that they are somehow because because them manipulating it is obviously a big mm-hmm. component and theme of you know uh them controlling sort of the outcome of these games and that's just another way they would do that it's a it's a fun idea yeah and you know that scene we talked about it and i think you probably are right that it was just kind of a an error on the filmmaker's part yeah. but i do think like i like it because i think it allows for a bunch of mm-hmm. different interpretations of what yeah. happened and it's also a fun little scene because 
you know, it's one of those things that if if it was anybody else, it wouldn't really be interesting. Mm-hmm. It would just be a little throwaway scene in the montage. And it's and it is that for ninety percent of people, even people that read the book, I would bet most yeah. people don't pay attention to that yeah. specific moment. Um, I don't say most, but a lot of people probably. I know the first time I saw the movie, I'm sure I wouldn't have noticed that little detail. Um, but it is one of those things that is for people who 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 have read the book a bunch of times, or you know, or or paying really close attention. This is like kind of a little weird Easter egg that's kind of fun. So, mm-hmm. over on Facebook, we had six votes for the book and zero for the movie. Sarah said, "This is the first time I waited to watch a movie until I read the book, and I'm so glad I did." The book had so much more nitty gritty that really drew you into the story. The love triangle, hashtag Team Gale, the weirdness of the capital, the brutality in the games, etc. I admit that the movie tried its best to get as many world details in as it could, but as it could, but I would have been confused as I, had I not read the book first. The book also allows you to have emotions and grow attachments to the other tributes. I remember my heart hurting a lot after reading Rue's death. I remember reading how scary the careers actually were. And I remember being sad about Foxface's death. The movie had to move so fast that you never really get to have those attachments, which is one thing that makes the games feel even more brutal. I feel like since the book was from Katniss's perspective and we heard her thoughts and opinions, we were able to see her and appreciate her dynamic personality and really feel for her with all she's had to overcome in life. I feel like movie Katniss just seems like an empty shell with some aggression issues that just happens to know how to survive. I do love how we get to see scenes from the game makers and others in the movie, but I miss the interesting character that Katniss actually is. Yep. Agree a lot with that. A lot of echoes a lot of things we said mm-hmm. over the course of the episode, for sure. Adam said, I think being able to hear Katniss's thoughts added a lot to the book that the movie just wasn't able to get across, so I voted book. I remember Katniss coming across as some combination of ace, arrow, and autistic when I read it, although I'm autistic and might just be projecting, and felt like the movie denied that and tried to play up the love triangle slash romantic angle more. Honestly, I think Book Katniss had a stronger emotional, potentially romantic connection to Madge than she did Peta. I mean, we stand Katniss Madge, but <laughs> no, um, no. That's I, uh, I. I read this comment when they posted it, and I, I thought it was really interesting because that was something um, that I, I got a lot this time reading mm-hmm. it. Uh, the specifically the angle of Katniss being <clears throat> coming across as autistic. I turned to you one time as I was reading it and I was like, I think Katniss might be autistic. Like, it might mm-hmm. be the intended, like, uh, characterization that's supposed to be coming across here, which is not something that even remotely crossed my mind when I read this book 10, you know, 10 yeah. years ago when it came out. Um, and I th- so I thought that was really interesting. I will say in regards to the at least her being potentially autistic, I think the movie, it's. I, I will agree that w- w- he said that the movie denied that. And I don't know if the movie denies that necessarily, because I think the characterization of Katniss feels very similar to me mm-hmm. in the movie as it does in the book. And, and like she's playing Katniss very similarly to how I imagined her acting uh, in the book. But obviously, since you're not in her head, it's hard right. to, because the, the things that really make the potential, the fact that she might be autistic come across in the book are the way she parses interactions with people and the way at least that that was how it came across to me there was a scene in particular where she she realizes um 
way after the fact that somebody was had the motivations for somebody doing something was just that they were being nice like that mm-hmm. was all it was like and just the way she kind of parses through um interactions with other people again you don't get that her her going through that in her head in the movie but i think in terms of the portrayal of Katniss as a character, the movie version tracked on pretty one-to-one to the book to me. So mm-hmm. I think that could still be there, but obviously you just have less information to make that assessment. In right. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't know if it's so much that the movie denied any of those readings as it is that we're not in her head, yeah. like you said, or like Sarah said, that the movie is just having to move so fast yeah. that we get less moments for that kind of characterization. Yeah, yeah, that that would be my my reading on it. And and, and especially since I had never seen the, uh, so I'd seen the first movie before we watched this one again, but I've never seen any of the sequels. Yeah. So I don't know where any of that goes. And I've also, I don't remember those reading them at all. But so, so I'm interested to see how that moves forward if it if it continues or if they take any of those readings because adam is not alone um in in mentioning the reading katniss as ace right yeah katniss as asexual aromantic Mm -hmm. and katniss as neurodivergent Mm -hmm. are i think pretty common readings of the character and we didn't get to talk about it we'll talk about it a little bit yeah during our all of our feedback but we didn't really get to talk about that during no, our episode at least not not directly necessarily yeah, yeah. um for a couple different reasons yeah. but I, I, that is something that i would like to explore a mm-hmm. little bit further as we move forward with the series because yeah. i think i think that all of those are well supported yes by the text absolutely yeah and, and like i said to me the 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 autistic thing came across and i googled it immediately after i got that vibe and i was like Oh, this is a pretty common reading. Like mm-hmm. it, I, she started show, like I Googled like Katniss is Katniss autistic or something like that. And tons of lists coming up of like, you know, top 20 autistic character, you know, like yeah. those kind of BuzzFeed yeah. style lists of that sort of thing. And she was on a lot of those kind of lists and there was a lot of Reddit posts about it. And so it was very in particular the autistic thing. But I think. And so, yeah, and and then I think uh, her, her reading as asexual or aromantic is also something that has a lot of support in those communities and it's something that people see a lot in the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that, that, like you mentioned, it's something we want to talk about more and will talk about more. Um, we didn't touch on it a bunch, partially because, a, like you said, for a lot of reasons, I think partially because it's something that both of us are would have are, are trying to educate ourselves on yeah, in terms of those yeah, and perspectives. I didn't, yeah, I didn't have time to educate myself on any of those perspectives as much as I would have liked to yeah. before discussing it. Yeah, so we don't want to barge into, you know, like yeah. go steamrolling into a conversation <laughs> about those topics, you know, without having any sort of... Um, grounding in in it uh ahead of time so that we don't sound like idiots but (laughs) yeah well and i wouldn't want to talk over anybody either yeah well that's what i mean well anyway that's the implicate when i say sound like idiots i mean by by talking over yes that was yeah talking speaking out of turn yes as it were by that so on twitter we had 20 votes for the book and three for the movie a few people voted for the movie yeah, we finally got some movie votes on Twitter. April Edmansky said, The movie was a close adaptation, but I have two nitpicks. The end fight was confusingly shot, hmm. and Peta and Cato look too much alike. Can't you give one of them slightly different hair, like light brown, maybe? And the dogs looked like cartoons. Also, we laughed our asses off at Rockface Peta, watched it <laughs> multiple times. It is a great moment. 
It is a very funny and ridiculous <laughs> moment. I'm glad everybody else find that found that as uh, ridiculous and enjoyable as we did. Um, I don't disagree about the fight at the end. I, in my memory, I don't recall it being particularly confusing, but it's it is at night and mm-hmm. it's like it's dark and it's, it's a lot they of do tussling. look like it's yeah. a lot of yeah, just a lot of teenage boy with short blonde hair <laughs> wrestling about so it's what yeah. didn't you say in, in our last prequel wasn't the actor who played kato didn't he also audition for either he auditioned Peter for Peter? yes yeah. yes yeah. that is true so i forgot about go. that yes that is fair uh the the actor and i can't remember his name now um who plays Cato did audition for Peta and didn't get the role so he uh ended up getting the the, the Cato role <laughs> and also eventually bjorn ironside in vikings <laughs> Andy Best said, film's fine. But no, no, no. Film, Andy Best said, film fine. Film fine. <laughs> but without those book details, it becomes PG-13 Battle Royale. With the book details, it has its own insight and was surprisingly good, considering it's not Ballard or whatevs. There you go. Uh, film fine. <laughs> I think it's the summary <laughs> of that one. I haven't seen Battle Royale. We did mention that in the prequel yeah. episode. Um uh, the similarities and stuff. It's a very similar style of story, at least. Um, and uh, we, we we were confused at first about what it's not Ballard or whatever and did some quick Googling and, and found that, that uh, Ballard was a uh, a sci-fi, just specifically wrote a lot about dystopian fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think they're comparing, yeah. kind of contrasting to that and saying it's pretty good considering it's not this, you know, it's like saying something is good for uh, good sci-fi, even though it's not like PKD or something like that. I guess is what they were going for. <laughs> Kelly Napier said, I picked the book because the world building is better. That being said, if there was ever a book just screaming for a map at the front, this would have been it. If you're going to tell us the former United States has been carved up into districts after a catastrophic event, then you need to show us violently nodding my how head that was along with this up. right now. <laughs> we all know what the US looks like on a map. It's not a fictional geographic place. If you Google Hunger Games district map, you'll see that this has led to confusion about where the borders actually are. The biggest discrepancy seems to be where the capital sits. I saw examples from LA to Utah after just a quick search. A similar example of using current geography on a fictional world is Divergent, but she makes it pretty clear that it's Chicago and only Chicago, so it doesn't incur the need, in my mind, to see where we're based. To conclude, the books are decent YA with Stopian fare. A reference map would have made the world building even better. As a person with a visual medium work background, I'm drawn to see, don't say. I, like I said, I violently nodding my head in the sense that I, it seems mind blowing to me that there wasn't that anybody in, in yeah. any of the process was like, hey, maybe this should have a map. I it's almost a, wonder. It's a dystopian spot like, that takes place. Here's yeah. my theory. I wonder if moving forward after the first book, they didn't, maybe they didn't, she didn't know exactly where she was going with the story yet. Yeah. And they didn't want to be nailed they down. They anything in. Yeah. Mm. Like, because there, maybe there's some extra district or something yeah. somewhere. Somewhere. Or something weird like that. That could be if they want, but because, but still, you could, you could come up with a, like, 
Canada could have a di- like, or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. You you just draw the map. Where is with the Canada and all this? That's yeah. a good question. Yeah, did all of Canada, Where is Canada? Get wiped out? Where's the rest of the world? Like, I with all this. That's that is a failing a little bit of the series that I, and from my memory, I don't remember if any of that's ever addressed in the future books. It may be, and I yeah. may be misremembering. Um, but it's like what? Okay, we have all this future tech. Like they can, they got hovercrafts and, you know, they can fly around the wire where where, there's no intercontinental travel or is the rest of the world dead? Like what's going on? I don't know. It's very interesting. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't blame the rest of the world if they were just like, you know what? We're just going to let America just be America over here. Yeah. And like, well, I think what would have been interesting if, and maybe this would have been it, but then, cause, cause it could have even created a more interesting um, world is if. Uh, like world building experience is if there was the climate crisis and then that spurred some sort of like nuclear war or something mm. and the rest of the world like us like wiped out every well maybe and what i mean is didn't wipe out everybody but wiped basically made the rest of the world essentially uninhabitable but then a lot of the people from other continents and whatever made their way eventually to the u.s because it's the only hmm. inhabitable part and then our our society you know this this pan am society is um is like is what, like multicultural out of that yes and it's hmm. like multicultural more like firefly or something you know where yeah. there's like there, there, there's there's different cultures and stuff intermingling and the languages have sort of intermingled in a weird way where it seems in this that we're pretty explicitly just like americans is what mm-hmm. it, you know that are in this story or future americans i guess but um i think that could have been interesting and it also would have and again without knowing what happens and remembering what happens right. in future books uh that could have plugged that sort of question that lingering question of like what's going on uh everywhere else and that wouldn't be an issue if we didn't have all this technology that would allow us to easily travel right to other yeah. places so <laughs> i don't know i also would not be at all surprised if sometime in the next few years we get like anniversary editions of the books that do have maps, do have maps. Yeah. i would not be surprised by that at all well the 10th anniversary already passed so Right, but it would have to be a few. Yeah, a, a I'm just surprised the that twentieth. You know, because I mean, I did a quick Google too when, when when I read that to see, and there's there's no official map. Yeah. like so there hasn't, which like, is wild in the tenth anniversary or whatever. There wasn't. I assume there was a tenth anniversary edition. There was not a map in it or anything, which is yeah, mind blowing to me. And yeah, there are dozens and dozens mm-hmm. and dozens of of different maps, and a lot of them are very similar, and they are more what I expected, where they're not, they're more like regional kind of, yeah, and like you know like. The Northwest is one, California is a district, you know, like that kind of thing. Shelby Suderman said, This one ended up being close for me because of the messaging that was cut. But in the end, there's been a lot of discussion over the years about reading, about Katniss reading as an aromantic asexual. I don't know if you're planning to cover it at some point, but I'll just go over a couple of quick examples. Katniss never describes or is preoccupied with being attracted to Gail or Peta. When she kisses someone, it's motivated by what she thinks she should do in the situation. Attraction has nothing to do with who she ends up with or why. But beyond that, what really struck me this time about the book is how much the pageantry aspect feels like an allegory for what it is for what it is to be an inexperienced aspect teen taken from an environment where she knows herself and suddenly having this allonormative narrative pushed onto her from everyone. 
The adults, including the ones we like and trust, are telling her it's fine. Just go along with it. This is a good thing, and she should be grateful. Fake it till you make it. Trust us, you don't understand yet, but we don't know, but we know better than you. She's given no opportunity to figure out what she wants on her own terms, only the expectation of what she's supposed to do. Here's what really turned me off the books after I initially read the first one. With all of that, there's some serious coercive undertones to the Katniss-Pita relationship in book one that really rubs me the wrong way. Now, I get that Peta was forced to participate in the Hunger Games by the Capitol. I get that this is to keep them both alive. I get that he's sincere about his feelings for Katniss. But also, he and their team put, the, put together this narrative about them being star-crossed lovers without including her, and then sprung it on her in front of the whole country. I get that they thought it wouldn't matter because only one of them was allowed to live. But then they're both allowed to live. I struggle through that last section of the book where she finds Peta every time because not only does she just have to play along for their lives, but we the audience know Peta was sincere, and now there's this expectation on her that just feels really gross to me. As someone who was a confused aspect teen, knowing there were expectations but not why or how I was supposed to deal with them, boy does that hit close to home. I don't know how much of this Suzanne Collins intended or how much of it just worked out that way. If she intended to say this, it doesn't come across to general audiences, so I'm just left with this section that feels too real but ultimately drops the ball by not actually saying anything about it. It's just brushed off at the end. I don't really remember catching fire of the book, but I think it's very slightly acknowledged. I'll have to read it again to see. To me, this reads different in the movie. There's much less time spent in the cave, and those scenes are much closer to her previous reaction, so it feels more like movie PETA could know she was faking it to keep them alive, and I don't feel that same expectation the way I do in the book. To me, the movie is better because it doesn't have all that extra baggage that's just brushed off anyway. Plus, I'm not so put off by book one PETA that I'm distracted from the point Suzanne Collins is making with the rest of it. Although, to be fair, I think the sequels do a better job with Katniss and Peeta's relationship because it's allowed to grow organically. Also, I love the cast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was really fascinating. I read that uh, <laughs> when Shelly posted that 28 <laughs> tweet. Uh, it was a very long tweet thread, yes. <laughs> on our Twitter. Um, and I, I, I thought it was very interesting, and I, I was hoping that Shelby would chime in on this because it was, you know, one of the reasons that I, I thought that it would be good for us to discuss it after Shelby had a chance to chime in because she has the perspective mm -hmm. that, that we don't. Um, I will say that this reading, it at one point Shelby said that, uh, the, uh, I don't know how much of this uh, Suzanne Collins intended or how much of it just worked out the way. If she intended to say this, it doesn't come across to general audiences. I don't know if it doesn't. I got it this time for sure. I, I, but, but, it depends on what you mean by come across to general audiences, I guess, because I think it would come across in the book to general audiences who were aware that that Ace and Arrow was like a thing. Yeah. Like, I think it's once you're what people who are, are are more, you know, who have, have existed in, in the culture in a, in a place where they are at least aware mm -hmm. of 
the, the converse, you know, of people of people that exist that are asexual, aromantic, etc. Um, I think it then becomes a very easy to like notice reading. I think if you're reading it without that frame of reference, then yes, yeah, you have nowhere I mean, to ground I, it. So it's yeah. I think it would definitely be easier for a someone who is not ace or arrow, um, but is aware of asexuality um, and a, a, roman- a romanticism. A romanticism, I guess. Um, to get that reading but definitely like if you're not even aware of that or even if you just have like some kind of like passing awareness you're probably not gonna get it from this i mean you don't know what you don't know yeah i guess that was my point is yeah but I, i do think it's it's it is one of those things that does feel i will say the thing that i found super interesting too was so the the initial just reading of katniss as ace or arrow or or both was seemed fairly obvious upon reading at this time Mm -hmm. felt fairly like yeah that totally tracks and like wasn't like a revelation to me upon reading any of this uh, the like shelby's comment here what was really interesting that I thought is a layer deeper that is a, a very fascinating read of it is the pageantry of it all mm-hmm. and and that being an allegory for... Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. Like, um, allonormativity, I guess is the right word, right? Um, I think, <laughs> trying to get my terms correct, uh, of, of like, yeah, that, that, that element of it, the, um, uh, being like, thr- uh, yeah, the, at the, at the top there, uh, the how much the pageantry aspect feels like an allegory for what it is to be an inexperienced aspect teen taken from an environment where she knows herself and suddenly having this allonormative narrative pushed onto her by everybody. I thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. and was a really like nuanced reading of it that I, I hadn't thought of reading it. Like, even though, like, this time reading it, I was like, oh, yeah, I can totally see reading her as Ace or Arrow. But I, that 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 secondary allegory of it was, you know, not yeah. something on my radar. Um, but upon hearing Shelby talk about it, it makes perfect sense and is a really interesting read on it. And, I yeah, I it seems like it's probably not, probably wasn't Suzanne Collins' intent? I don't know, though. I've never heard any yeah, interviews with her. Know. I don't know, like, what her background, like, what her yeah. deal I'm is. I'm not sure, because it, it, it's interesting, because it does feel like it almost would have had to have been intentional. Right. But then there's not, at least according to Shelby, I haven't read yes. the other two books yet, but it seems, it sounds like there's not much done with it. I will say that from, okay, so I, like I said a million times, I remember so very little. I do remember finding the, 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 the way the romantic subplot, um, route finished mm-hmm. essentially, uh, by the end of the third book to be frustrating and disappointing. Okay. And I, I do wonder now upon, I'm going to be very interested in upon when I read it when I was you know 20 or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and I and and at the time I had zero inkling of what a spec like any of these things like right you know I I wouldn't have had any frame of reference for any of that kind of uh, reading of it. I would be really interested to see upon this reading if my it, it, my perspective coming to it as a you know, allo. Oh, good lord, the terms! I am bad at this. <laughs> I'm trying. Um, what is the allosexual? I guess is the right word. Um, 
if that was what was coloring my mm-hmm. viewing of and, and what made me feel frustrated with the and again I don't remember why I just remember the feeling of being like I don't like this ending I don't like how this ended this all feels weird and wrong okay like and so I'm wondering it but I don't remember the details of it at all um and so I'm wondering if like how much of that was colored colored by, by my expectations as an allosexual person who like wanted mm-hmm. a more traditional type of like ending yeah like like alanormative ending like i want uh-huh. you know, i don't know i don't and and like right. i was thrusting that onto katniss maybe like why don't you just do this thing to that to me feels normal <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean yeah and like but not not understanding that if that is the intent for her character um that that that's me you know sort of trying to put this weird framework on her character that may be what's mm-hmm. going i don't know again yeah i know memory. i think I'd be that'll really be interesting I mean, even though you don't remember, like, the particular details, yeah. but, like, knowing that you felt that way about it the first time you read them a decade plus ago, yeah. but now that you have expanded your framework and have a more of an understanding of the spectrum, the, of, the spectrum of sexuality, sexuality. And, and human experience and whatnot, yeah. Um, if you'll, if you can get a different read yeah. on it. Yeah, I would be, like I said, I'm very interested. I mean, I'm sure you will get a different read on it. <laughs> yes. If just by virtue of it being a decade plus later. <laughs> yeah. But. But yeah. Um, anyways. Uh, super, super fascinating. Uh, super thankful that you, you wrote that all out for us, Shelby. We uh, appreciate you always commenting on our stuff. But um, We was, appreciate you taking the time to educate to us. To educate us. <laughs> on Instagram, we had 15 votes for the book and four for the movie. We also got like a handful more votes on our Instagram poll than we usually get. Although I'm not sure. Maybe this book just like caught people's attention more because I haven't been doing the story poll for very long. Anyway, 15 votes for the book, four for the movie. Uh, Jamie underscore 0214 replied to the story where I ask the question and I say reply and let us know why you liked one or the other more yes. <laughs> um and this person replied and just said snobbery yes uh, and they voted for the book so yes. i'm assuming this is like a book snob, book snob thing. joke yeah a joke yeah. yeah yeah i saw that and i was like what does this mean because <laughs> i just saw the message <laughs> literally just said snobbery because like i got it through facebook yeah. messenger or whatever even though it was on instagram because they're the same thing and i was like what is what is and then i was like oh okay I saw that it was a response to the poll, and then I, it was all made clear. Yeah, I don't believe they were calling us. Snobs, That's what at first I was like, "Wait, what? What did we do?" <laughs> I feel like we're not very snobby. Try but... very hard not to be snobby. Yeah. <laughs> and Jediann Nine said, "It's fun getting to see some of the visuals in the movie, but Colin's writing is so descriptive and strong that I get way more out of the book." She really puts you right in District 12 with Katniss at the beginning and then masterfully transports you to the arena in a way that feels a little disconnected in the movie. One more thing. Since I read the book before casting was even announced, I had someone completely different in my head as PETA. It's the only time I've ever been kind of bummed about a movie's casting. Interesting. The only time. Only That's time. surprising more than being bummed about it is that it's the only time. I remember, I, I'm sure we talked about this last summer. I was very bummed about the Twilight casting when yes. they first announced yeah, I that. I think we talked about it in the prequel episode yeah. or something for the first one. But yeah, 
Um, that is, yeah. I, uh, I, I'm assuming when they say I had someone completely different in my head, they mean generally, like just like. Mm-hmm. But if you had a specific example, I'd like to know who. Yeah, you if saw. this was if like this a, was a specific, specific actor, someone, or if it just please was more let like us a vague, know a vague like image of someone. Yeah, and then then Josh Hutcherson just didn't fit that yeah. image. Let us know either way. Either way, but if it's specific, definitely if it's a specific actor, I want to know who your your dream PETA is. Because that would be interesting. So. <laughs> All right. What was our final uh, breakdown for the votes? So our final winner was the book with 50 votes Woo! to the movie's seven. Shellacking. It was a little bit of a landslide. Movie got trounced. I'm a little surprised. This is what I said earlier. I'm not. I'm uh, actually. No, I'm not surprised. I well, I, I figured the book would win. Yeah, I'm not surprised that the book came out on top. I'm surprised that the movie didn't do a little better. I I think it's a lot. And this is what I talked about. We started talking about earlier. I, I think it's probably a lot of what my opinion was. I'm not going to try to universalize my opinion, <laughs> but I have a feeling that it's a lot of people felt. And, and based on the comments, a mm-hmm. lot of them said similar things to how I felt, which was it's pretty close. Like, it's, yeah. it, I, I'm teetering to the book, but only, you know, in a handful of ways. And the movie is a pretty good it's adaptation. It's a pretty good adaptation. Like it's it's yeah. quite good. And I'm, I'd be as a if I were a big Hunger Games fan. Uh, or a bigger Hunger Games fan than I guess I am, or whatever. Um, I, I I could see being very happy with mm-hmm. the movie. I mean, and especially given how bad an adaptation can go. Yes. Especially when you're a big fan of a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a great adaptation. Yeah, yeah and overall pretty... pretty <laughs> We're pleased with it. Pretty solid. Pretty <laughs> solid. All right, it is time to learn a little bit about children's books and gender. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. So we're talking about Hatchet mm-hmm. this week. One which, of my favorite books a, as a child. A childhood favorite of yours. Yep. Now, I, I didn't read Hatchet as a kid. I'm not really sure how I missed it, especially since it was a Newbery honor and I mm-hmm. read a bunch of Newbery books. Yeah. As a kid, um, but I was aware of what the premise of it was. Um, so a couple years ago, like before we even started this podcast, yeah, I, um, when you told me that it was one of your favorites when you were a kid, I asked you if you had read Island of the Blue Dolphins or Julie of the Wood of the Wolves, mm-hmm. and I was summarily astonished <laughs> that you had not, because they're also wilderness survival adventure stories that should have been right up your alley and to expand on that it wasn't just hatchet i read i was a big fan of i mean i read almost all the sequels except for brian's journey which i will get to it was like the last one or whatever Mm -hmm. i read like all the sequels um there a handful of other books specifically one of my favorites that i also reread a bunch that i liked about as much as hatchet was one called my side of the mountain and Mm -hmm. i believe it also has a sequel called the other side of the mountain i read both of those quite a few times um, I may even like my side of the mountain more because he has a pet hawk in that one or falcon. <laughs> I think it's peregrine falcon. Uh, like he, yeah, he becomes like a falconer, and he has, it's and, and that one also has super cool drawings of like his survival stuff, like mm-hmm. little like it's really cool. It's a great book, but from my memory, but uh, 
Very similar to Hatchet. I did like survival books as a kid, like those style yeah, of survival books. Yeah, this is a books. genre that you yeah. were into. and I, I also, and I'll mention it later, I also read a, quite a few other Gary Paulson books that are similarly mm-hmm. survival-type stories, like Dog Song, like Transall Saga, like Canyons. Um, those are also similar survival stories. So it was a genre that I read quite yeah. a lot as a kid. Right, and when it became clear to me that this was a genre that you had read yeah. quite a bit as a kid... Like I said, I proceeded to be summarily (laughs) astonished because Island of the Blue Dolphins and Julie of the Wolves, I read both of those as a child, and they're the same premise. Mm -hmm. That it's like a kid finds themselves abandoned somewhere in the wilderness and has to survive by their wits and their skills. Yeah. So... When we came back around to Hatchet for that episode, I started thinking about that conversation that we had yeah. years ago. And I, I did make you read Island of the Blue Dolphins. Yeah, and I enjoyed that. it. I actually, I enjoyed it a lot. That was very good. Yeah, I would have loved it as a kid. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So I started thinking about uh, that conversation and I started thinking about books and childhood and the way that children's books get divided according to gender. That is to say, divided into two distinct groups according to the gender binary. Yeah. Boy books and girl books. And I'm, I'm going to use boy and girl mm-hmm. a lot during this discussion. And also, and, sorry. And, I, and I'm talking about the concept of the gender binary. I'm not intentionally as, leaving out non-binary yes, people. Yes, as created by society. Yes, as, as, as created as by society. by society, not as endorsed by us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Anyone who I think has a passing bit of awareness knows that gendering products is not uncommon. I don't think I've ever seen a single gendered product in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. But why do we do it? (laughs) Um, So I'll start out talking about toys. So in the case of toys, the reason that we gender those products is literally because of capitalism. I'm not even joking. I mean, uh, that's the underlying answer to a lot of questions, but yes. So toys actually were not always marketed according to the gender binary, Mm -mm. but around the 1940s, toys became an industry. They became a big business. And manufacturers then caught on to the idea that at least wealthier families would buy an entire new set of the same products if those products were marketed differently for both genders. And why would you be satisfied with selling a family one toy for their kids to share when you could sell them a blue one for their son and a pink one for their daughter. I mean, that's just good AdSense. That's just good <laughs> marketing. Like if I had existed in 1940, I would have been on the I would have been the person making the fucking advertisement selling the boy version of them. Uh, anyway. <laughs> now with books, I think it is a little more complicated, interesting and hung up in the persistent stereotypes about each of these genders. Historically, the marketplace for literature in general has skewed female. Books... You say historically, 
there's like a since since a certain period. Yeah, since a certain period. Since like who knows when, but like what's well, probably like the. I wouldn't even late eighteen hundreds yeah, maybe. maybe in that ballpark. Yeah. In that, around the time at least in the west around the time of the advent of the novel yeah especially yeah. um uh, because obviously yes. before that it skewed almost exclusively male but <laughs> in lots of places in the world yeah, but, the, yeah. The, the marketplace for literature skews female yes um books especially fiction are a girl thing mm-hmm. and we can see that reflected in popular characters whose primary traits are that they are readers yep. characters like Hermione Granger or Belle from Beauty and the Beast can you think of any similar male characters who are primarily defined by the fact that they like to read uh yeah oh boy I'm gonna try to think um there yes they exist they're generally not main characters. They would. Uh, I'm trying to think of a main character who would fit that billing. Um, there are definitely, you know, not unimportant characters and things who are like, but they tend to fall into like a tropey, like um, nerd boy, nerd character yeah. thing where they're like, and again, they're usually not the main character. They're like mm-hmm. a side, which to be fair, Hermione's not the main character, but they're like a sidekick who is the the nerdy one who reads or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think that is a that's a character trope, but it's I can't I will say that off the top of my head nothing's jumping to mind, but I think if I thought for a little while I could think of something. Off the top of my head, the only one that I could come up with was Klaus Baudelaire mm-hmm. from a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. Which I, I get his there's like three main characters. Yeah, he's and one, he's of, one the of the main characters. Yeah. But again, what I think is interesting about that example is that whereas these female characters who are portrayed as readers are often portrayed as being interested in fiction. I just thought it was, sorry. His thing is more like nonfiction. Yeah. I just thought of a really good example. Okay. And you're going to kick yourself it. for not having thought of this. Sebastian from The NeverEnding Story. Okay, fair. Yeah. <laughs> like he that's his whole character is that yeah. He's like a story guy. Yeah. And he's the main character and he's yeah, he not. Yeah, he's the main yeah, character. Yeah. yeah. So, coming off of that, in current times, where we are right now, we have this idea that girls are predisposed to like reading. Real quick, he is picked on for that. Yes, he is. And and usually the he's female characters are not generally yeah. well as, as like picked, uh, i guess to be fair hermione is I, I, but i think they're picked on in a different we're going way off the yeah rails sorry here. i didn't mean to go too but, far uh, off the rails, i think but. they're picked on in a different way though and i think it all connects because hermione is picked on for being a drudge yes whereas a character <laughs> a character like sebastian like he's picked on for not being stereotypically masculine right Yes. Yeah. In the books. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are different. Yeah. Different and reasons. then movie two, he's somehow a swimming star, but uh, well, he's not because anyway. he can't dive off the diving board. But whatever. Whatever. This is not. Um. Okay. Where was I? Um. Okay. So we're here in the present now. What we have then is this idea that girls are predisposed to like reading. And boys are not. Mm -hmm. So then the powers that be, uh, the gatekeepers, namely parents, teachers, and librarians, push to try and get boys reading. And then we arrive at our second stereotyped assumption. Boys like to read about 
boys and boy things, they don't like to read girly books, Mm -mm. which is interpreted as anything from books about girl stuff, princesses, romance, feelings, etc., to any book with a female protagonist. Yes. Yes, true. And like many other elements of our modern lives that are dictated by the gender binary, these quote-unquote rules are much more rigid for boys than they are for girls. Boy books are assumed to be universal, while girl books are just for girls, which is why I read Harry Potter, but you didn't read Anne of Green Gables. Yes. And let me be clear here, this does not always look like an irate parent snatching a pink book out of their son's hand. It can look like that. Right. But in most cases, it's a lot more subtle because this idea is now very ingrained into our collective subconscious. I think even a progressive librarian, teacher, or parent is more likely to just unthinkingly recommend a book with a male protagonist to a boy than a book with a female protagonist. I agree. So I read books primarily... I read a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. It was something my parents encouraged me to do a lot. Uh, it's a thing that I liked doing a lot. And I read a bunch as a kid. Mm-hmm. I can't recall a single book I read with a female protagonist. I'm sure I did. I'm not. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure there was a few. But that being said, my parents are incredibly progressive yes. people for their yeah. age, especially for their age. Like they are incredibly progressive people, and it was not a matter of like there was no. Um, you know, in, in sort of weird gender enforcement mm-hmm. or anything like that. It was it was mere because a lot of times, and in fact, a lot of the books I read weren't didn't have anything to do with what you know my parents getting them for me. They got me a lot of books, but there was also you know I got a lot of them through through school, through the library, right. through teachers, through um, uh, book uh, what you call it, book the, fairs, yeah, blah book blah fairs. blah, that sort of thing. Um. And I think part of it was, too, I also just, and obviously enforced by society, I think I generally just gravitated towards male protagonist books, probably, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, 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 my point being that my my reading upbringing was one where I primarily read books uh, with male protagonists, but it was not something, at least to me, that remotely seemed like it was consciously enforced is my point no and and like i said i think most of the time it's not yeah it's it's something that is just so ingrained into our society now i mean you mentioned like book fairs and stuff um but i can remember getting like um like the weekly scholastic catalogs Uh in elementary school and there was almost always a section that was books for boys right yeah yeah books for girls and that kind of thing leads you uh-huh. especially a child you know impressionable kids yeah yeah um and i had you know kind of a similar literary upbringing to you i mean i read all across the board boy books mm-hmm. girl books all the books i was very fortunate to grow up for my formative years in a home that very much valued books and reading yeah. and literacy yeah um but yeah, I mean, I, I read all kinds of different protagonists Yeah, and never thought anything of it. I will say the closest I guess I got, that the one that I can think of that I know had a f- 
had a female protagonist, but it was it was uh, I don't know if they were twins, but it was a brother sister protagonist mm-hmm. pair. Uh, the Magic Treehouse books mm. have a, 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 a it's a boy and a girl or like the protagonists. Um, and I was obsessed with those books when I was a little kid. I read dozens and dozens of them. Um, but that was the only one that jumped into my head. Yeah. Anyways. So what's the problem here? If the boys are reading, is there really an issue? <laughs> and the answer is yes and no, but mostly yes. All children should read and be read to. You will never get me to come off that line. Um, that is maybe the one thing in my life that I believe the most fervently. Should read and or be read to, yeah. Yes. And all children should be able to read what interests them, mm-hmm. regardless of genre, format, or the gender of the protagonist. The trouble starts when adults start making assumptions and voicing them. So one of the articles that I read while doing research for this segment was a Washington Post piece from 2018 by author Shannon Hale, who's most well-known for her children's series, The Princess Academy. Guess what kind of book that is? Uh, Gladiatorial combat in ancient (laughs) Rome. Um, Girl book or boy book? I'm going to go with that's a girl book. Girl book. It's got the word princess in the title, so... Um, And she relayed a story about being introduced before speaking at a school by the school librarian who said, girls, you're in for a real treat. You will love Shannon Hale's books. Boys, I expect you to behave anyway. What are we teaching boys when we're casually dismissive of girls' stories and female protagonists? Like, the message is that girls' stories, girls' interests, and girls themselves are lesser. That boys can't and shouldn't admire and identify with female protagonists. That there's nothing of value to be found in reading about a girl's perspective on the world. And that has side effects that last long past childhood. A teenager leaves home to visit his father for the summer. When over the Canadian Rockies, the pilot suffers a heart attack. Here, Ryan Robeson must confront the wilderness and himself with nothing but a hatchet. Hatchet is a 1986 young adult wilderness survival novel by American writer Gary Paulson. Gary Paulson has authored over 200 books and more than 200 other articles, short stories, and plays, all primarily targeted uh, for young teenagers. In 1997, he won the Margaret Edwards Award from the American Library Association for his lifetime contribution to writing for teens. Okay, so this following information... There wasn't, I actually didn't find a ton of stuff about Hatchet itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, there is stuff out there. There's a whole book that I'm going to mention here that's about Hatchet, that if you're really interested in it, you can go read that. Um, but I, I, anyways, I, Gary Paulson, we're not doing a learning things on Gary Paulson, so I thought I'd be interested to kind of cover some of his story here because some of this stuff is wild. The following information is from Gary Paulson's autobiographical works. Of which there are several, including Easter Sun and Winter Moon, 
an autobiographical odyssey. Wow. That's a title. Yeah, Winter Moon. Well, Easter. I, I believe that those are two. I believe Easter Sun is one. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's Easter Sun and Winter Moon colon an autobiographical odyssey. Those are I two. mean, an autobiographical odyssey, though, yes. is wow. Chef's kiss. A, it seems as if these are true. I don't know. Gary Paulson is a very, like, secluded, like, uh-huh. kind of like. He he just go lives. He's like lives his life. We'll talk about what he does, but he's a very sort of secluded person, and much about his life seems to not be known other than what he said about it. And it seems like maybe it's not all true. I don't no, know. You know, that's the way to do it, though. Yeah. Control the narrative. <laughs> yeah, he definitely has control of the narrative of his <laughs> life. I will say that much. So uh, apparently, on one occasion when he was very young. His mother was napping, and we'll get into this. His mother was an alcoholic. Both of his parents were alcoholics. Mm. Um, His mother was napping. Uh, Gary Paulson snuck outside and was apparently snatched up by a child molester. But his mother showed up just in the nick of time to save him and then proceeded to beat the man to death. I I don't... That's a, (laughs) a story that he related... Uh, he then went on another story. He also reported that on a so his father, although he he's not sure who his actual father is mm-hmm. because he he related stories that his mother uh, had was in lots of relationships and was mm-hmm. not ever like you know was not particularly monogamous. At one point after World War II, he was on a naval trip to the Philippines to visit his father who had been stationed there after the war. And he they they while they were traveling on this boat, they saw a plane crash into the ocean. And they were they were sitting there, and, and during the rescue operation, they were trying to get all these people that had survived this plane crash. He watched as, as many of these people were eaten by sharks. And then afterwards, the survivors that made it onto the ship, his mother was like a, she had um, some sort of nursing experience. Uh-huh. And he like helped his mom like care for all these injured survivors of this plane crash supposedly again this all sounds fake it i don't know these are from his autobiographies and from a a, a specific book that i'm going to mention right now the book is called guts colon the true stories behind hatchet and the brian books which is uh, another author wrote like a Mm -hmm. a, a, you know an investigation into gary paulson and his writing of hatchet and on all of the brian books um he in in that book Gary Paulson and this author interviewed Gary Paulson for it apparently Gary Paulson discusses how he survived between the ages of 12 and 14 in Minnesota uh, at this time both of his parents were alcoholics and so dysfunctional that he literally didn't they didn't even give like provide food for him uh, so he ended up getting a job uh, several jobs one as a pin setter at a bowling alley another uh, as a newspaper delivery boy and then another as a farmhand. Uh, and he used that money to buy a 22 rifle, and then he would use that to hunt for sustenance because his parents literally were, you know, so dysfunctionally alcoholic that he they were not providing food for him. Eventually, he claimed to have given up on the rifle and manufactured his own bow and arrows to hunt deer with. <laughs> I... <laughs> Look, here's the I thing. I feel <laughs> like Gary Paulson is having fun with us. Yeah. But also, also, I don't know. Look, I, my dad grew up around, my dad's a little, a little younger than Gary Paulson. Gary Paulson's 82 currently. But my dad's 
a decade younger than him. Mm-hmm. But the stories my dad tells me about his childhood, none of this seems particularly like out like it's outlandish, but also kids things that happened to kids back then were fine and still do to be fair but like just I, it actually doesn't it seems outlandish but i'm like i can actually buy this if, if half the shit my dad tells me is true that they got up to when they were kids i was like sure this this tracks like yeah so much of what is known about gary paulson's life is revealed in prologues and epilogues of his own books in his book the quilt one of a series of three books based on summers that he spent with his grandmother, Paulson told about a tremendous, the tremendous influence that his grandmother had on his life. It's difficult to say how factual, an autobi- how factual of an autobiography the quill is intended to be, as Paulson is supposed to have been six years old in the story, and Eddie made references to events found in Easter Sun, which is supposed to have been set later. He also refers to himself in this book in third person and only as the boy. So again, this all lends credence to the idea that I think some of what we do or don't know about Gary Paulson's life is maybe not, you know, it's a little like Gary Paulson's uh, out here, like doing his own therapy through writing. Like, yes, that, but all, (laughs) but also, like you said, very much controlling his own narrative. And and he existed at a time where, you know, pre-internet, any of this stuff where he, and, and if, if you can't track down people that knew him when he was a kid or whatever, he gets to tell his own story. So who knows how much or how little of this is accurate. I'm not calling him a liar. I'm just saying, uh, I mean, things that lead credence lend credence to, uh, the, the potentiality of these stories about his childhood are things like this. In 1983, Gary Paulson entered the, uh, 1,150 mile Iditarod trail sled dog race. He placed 40 41st out of 54 finishers. I didn't get I didn't see how many people like started and didn't finish, mm-hmm. but he did finish it, which is a, an accomplishment all, yeah. enough it's in and all of itself. Um, uh, his official time was 17 days, 12 hours, 38 minutes and 38 seconds. Uh, Gary Paulson still maintains a 40 acre plot of land near Willow, Alaska, where he breeds and trains sled dogs for the Iditarod. Uh, he kept meaning to. He kept wanting to do the Iditarod again, but he had a heart disease at one mm. point, uh, and it kept him from doing it. And he's never done it again. He was a, he withdrew as a contestant in like 2003. Like he was slated to do it, yeah, in like the 2000s, and then something like his heart disease or something, he wasn't able to. But he uh, a, again, so he's apparently still training sled dogs in in Alaska. That being said, I don't know when this exact piece yeah. of information is from. He's 82 now. I don't know if he's still he, training sled is he still dogs. Alive? He is still alive. Yes, Gary good, Paulson is still alive. Um, but I don't know it. Or he's he's not reported dead yet. Is <laughs> <laughs> how I'll say it. <laughs> Knowing the way he lives, like he lives in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. On I think uh, on a you know. I'm really upset that I can never meet this guy. Yeah, he's a wild dude. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I, I, interesting fellow. But, uh, so 82, again, not reported dead yet. Uh, but, but my guess is that maybe he's still not training sled dogs. Or maybe he is. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So, uh, back to Hatchet now a little bit. Hatchet was the, uh, Hatchet was the runner up for the 1988 Newberry Award, uh, giving, getting the Newberry honor as opposed to the Newberry Mm -hmm. Award. Uh, and it also spawned four sequels, which I mentioned earlier, including The River, 
Brian's Winter, Brian's Return, and Brian's Hunt. And I, like I said earlier, I've read all of them but Brian's Hunt. Um, at, at least I don't recall reading Brian's Hunt. It came out in like 2000 or something like that. And I don't recall reading it. Uh, I, I read The River. Meh. Brian's Winter, I remember liking a lot. And Brian's Return was okay. Uh, the River is interesting. The River is a... We'll never do any of them, so I'll just talk briefly. Mm. The River is... After he escapes at the end of Hatchet, spoilers, he goes back with a survival guy who wants to, like, learn from him and, oh. like, document it all. Like, uh -huh. he's like, let's go and, and we'll learn about all this stuff. Um, and he ends up getting the survival guy that he's, like, showing how he survived to. It, it gets struck by lightning <laughs> and, and falls into a coma. Yeah. So now he has to survive again. Yeah. And the reason it's called the river is he um, he ends up building a raft. Mm-hmm. And because he knows where they are and they're in the middle of nowhere, they got dropped off by a plane. He has no way to contact anybody, but he knows if he can get down the river, he right. can get to a city. And so right. he builds a raft and it's Always about follow a river. Yeah, yeah. It's about going down this river in the raft with this, this Interesting. comatose Interesting. guy. Um, Brian's winter is the one I like the most from my memory of the sequels I've read is it's a alternative. Uh, and it's like an alternative timeline, essentially, where Brian doesn't get rescued at the end of Hatchet oh. and has to survive through the winter. Interesting. So that, yeah, it's like an alternative history version of Hatchet where he has to survive through the winter. Brian's return is where he it's literally what it says it is. He, he goes home. It's it, I think it follows on from the winter. Mm -hmm. technically i can't remember um i don't know which of those two like you know if it's the river or the winter like timeline this is the, this is the brian expanded universe yeah yeah because there are two timelines in this in, in in this book series which is interesting and i don't remember i think brian's return is from the river timeline i can't recall um but he he basically ends up uh realizing he doesn't fit into society anymore and just like goes back to live in the woods for a while yeah relatable yeah uh, and then I haven't, like I said, I haven't read Brian's Did you so. like these books because you share a name with the protagonist? No. Was, that was not part of the draw for no, you? No, because I don't share a name Well, no, it's spelled it's differently. It's spelled <laughs> I think your name no, actually is mine the... is spelled the cool way. The I is dumb. The I looks way dumber. Uh, look, this is, this is one hill I'll die on. The way B-R-I-A-N <laughs> looks, just all of them go up. B-R-Y-A-N has some interesting, like, you got the, you got the, whatever. Oh, it's visually interesting? Yeah, it's visually okay. interesting because, like, B and R go up above mm -hmm. the, you know, like. But the then the Y up. goes down. And then the Y goes down. It's, like, more, it's just more interesting. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I like yeah, letters I that are saying. words that have, like, both, like, you know. I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure the Y spelling is, like. Oh, the, it's the much the more variant yeah, yeah, it is. Off it of is. the I spelling. Absolutely. It is the, yeah. It is the alternative to the, Yeah. For sure. I just think it's more interesting. I think it looks cooler. You're not biased at all. I'm not at biased all. at all. <laughs> um, so this book, uh, interestingly, has very polarizing reviews on Goodreads. Uh, and I, I just wanted to, it's got like a three and a half out of five. Mm -hmm. it's a lot of books on yeah, Goodreads books, are like yeah. in that range. But the top review that I read on Goodreads, from 2009, has 491 likes. It's a one-star review, and it reads thusly. I'm so excited. <laughs> Though the story was compelling, very compelling, 
compelling enough that I finished it despite the compelling urge to throw it out the window. I don't think I could ever read it again. The window, oh, the shiny window. The shiny open window was very tempting. This book was so repetitious. Why so repetitious? I know not why this book was so repetitious, but the repetitious repetitions made me want to pull my hair out. My brown hair, the brown hair on my head, the hair that was brown that was on my head. <laughs> I did listen to it on CD, which might have been part of the problem. Bruce said he didn't, and I assume Bruce is this person's like partner, friend, friend or something, yeah. whatever. Bruce said he didn't notice it as much when he read the book, but when you read it, your mind kind of skips over things, things that might be re repetitious. The repetitious things might have been skipped over that might make you want to pull your hair out and throw the book out of the window. So, <laughs> that's the end of the review. <laughs> that's a great review. Great review. 491 likes. I think it's got most, a lot of those likes are just because it's, it's a good review. Yeah. But, I didn't recall this book being repetitious in, in its language, mm -hmm. um, but I read it as a child, so I may have been misremembering. I did just start it. Yeah. I am four or five chapters in. There is repetition, but I'm going to defend it in the episode. Okay. I think that it's very not excited. like just bad writing. It, it's very intentional. Have a, have a purpose. It's, it's, it's very purposeful. Okay. And, like, I guess I can understand somebody reading it and finding it annoying, but also, to me, it feels like it has a purpose and it feels like it fits and makes sense. Mm -hmm. And we'll discuss that in the main episode and why I feel that way. Okay. So, All right. But but I did get what they were saying, again, within the first couple chapters. I was like, okay, I see what they're saying. <laughs> but it's not as bad as they're saying, at least so far. But I get it. But they're wrong. <laughs> Uh, so some other Gary Paulson books, I just wanted to mention this, that I have fond memories of, because this is the only book of his, at least that I know of, that has been made into a movie, so it's the only one we'll ever get to talk about. Uh, I mentioned him earlier, but Dog Song uh, is about a, a, a kid in Alaska, I believe, that goes off into the wilderness, and um, there are dogs, mm -hmm. influenced by the Iditarod thing, I think. Um, Canyons, which I remember very little about, but I read that a couple times, and the one that I liked the most... Uh, when I was a kid, other than Hatchet, is one called the Transall Saga, which never got any sequels, but I was disappointed about. Where in that one, a, a kid is hiking through, I think, like the Arizona, somewhere in the West, mm -hmm. like the mountains, like deserty mountain areas, and ends up getting sucked. That one actually kind of merges sci-fi. He gets sucked up by a blue beam of light. What? Or I say sucked up. He gets hit by a blue beam of light that transports him, and it's a spoiler, into the future, like way huh. into the future. And, and he ends up in this uh, post-apocalyptic society that is, it's it's reverted into like a um, tribal, like Bronze Age type huh. world. Interesting. And he, 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 he like starts working with these, but he ends up finding these little, it has kind of like Planet of the Apes type of mm -hmm. vibes where it's like clearly this is, he doesn't know at first if he's been transported somewhere or if what's happened. And then he realized he finds like a Coke bottle at one point. He's like, uh. oh, this is Earth in the future, blah, blah, blah. And then he eventually figures out what happened mm. um, that led to this apocalypse and uh, or led to this, you know, cataclysmic events. And then uh, when he gets eventually voiped back and he like lives a whole lifetime, essentially, uh, and gets in relationships and blah, blah, blah. And then eventually he gets hit with a blue beam of light randomly again at the end and then gets teleported back to the exact moment where he... It's Gosh. cool. I liked that book as a kid a lot. It's kind of combined the the wilderness yeah, survival with the sci-fi. Yeah. 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 And then and then added in some weird meta, like, you know, like 
time travel stuff. All of it. I hit a lot of my niches of stories that I like. So I, if, you, if you're interested in, uh, if you like Hatchet, I would, I would recommend checking out the Transall saga. I have no idea how any of these hold up. It's been, like I said, <laughs> I, I read these all when I was yeah. 12 or whatever, 10. So, all right. Now it's time to find out a little bit about A Cry in the Wild. Concord Pictures presents yes. Jared Rushton, A Cry in the Wild. Based on the Newbery Award-winning number one bestseller, Hatchet, the Los Angeles Times called it splendid. Keep away from my berries, pal. The Chicago Sun-Times called it fascinating. A realistic adventure story to savor. And the San Francisco Chronicle hailed it as the best boy-against-nature story since my side of the mountain. A Cry in the Wild is a 1990 coming-of-age survival drama film based on the book Hatchet. Some sources said loosely based. It was directed by Mark Griffiths, who also directed a boatload of mostly TV movies that I'd never heard of mm -hmm. uh, from the mid-80s to the mid-2010s. The only thing on his credit list that I recognized off the top of my head was Beethoven's Fifth. The Fifth. Like Be the, the, the fifth Beethoven, Beethoven movies? Yeah, okay. with the, with the St. Bernard, yes. Yeah. Uh, it was written by Catherine Siren. Siren, I don't know, whose other writing credits are mostly like Hallmark Christmas movies. Nice. Uh, Gary Paulson also has a writing credit, but I honestly couldn't tell if it was just for the novel or if he helped with the screenplay. I, I looked at the at IMDb afterward, and who knows if it's accurate, but IMDb had him listed both for a screenplay credit and mm -hmm. for novel by credit, which usually okay. means that they did that they help, did with, the help with the screenplay. But who knows? I didn't yeah. see anything else about that anywhere else. Like, I never... Yeah, that was where I that was, was the tripping up. I was like, I, I can't saw that find anything verifying this. Yeah, I didn't see anything on his page. Like, I went through his Wikipedia and stuff. I yeah. didn't see anything about him working on the movie other than just a little note that said Hatchet was adapted into a movie. So I... But he does, on IMDb, have two credits, and one of them is screenplay, which implies that he yeah. was involved, but maybe not. Who knows? Uh, the film stars Jared Rushton as the main character, Brian. Mm -hmm. Rushton hasn't appeared in anything since 2000, but was in a handful of late 80s classics, including him, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, yep. <laughs> Big, and Overboard. Uh, he also appeared in the original run of Roseanne as Chip Lang. Yeah, I recognized him when I saw this from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm -hmm. He's one of the, the neighbor boys. The film also stars Ned Beatty, Pamela Sue Martin, Stephen Meadows, Terrence H. Winkless, and a handful of other actors whose names I didn't recognize. Although when I was like clicking on them to see if I knew them from other stuff, uh, Terrence H. Winkless directed uh, the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. The TV? Oh, yeah, the, the TV show. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Okay, good for him. Um, the animal actor, I couldn't find if it was an actual wolf or it was if it was like a, a wolf-like dog or what. Um, but the animal actor that appears in this film was named Stormcloud and also appeared in White Fang 2, Myth of the White Wolf. I have a feeling that this is going to be a big change. 
whatever this this animal actor this animal actor i don't think i don't know that, that's not from the book <laughs> <laughs> and it also ties into why i think they maybe changed the title I had this discussion with a coworker who mm-hmm. listens to the podcast who was talking about how like we were like why would they because they had read Hatchet as a kid and yeah because Hatchet it. is a it's pretty, such a good yeah name. It's, it's and a, it's a good name and it's a fairly well known it was a fairly well known yeah book. it's a fairly well known book and I was like why would they change the name but you think they changed it I think enough? they changed it because no, no no I think the reason they changed it and I think this having this potential wolf. Uh-huh. friend in the movie or dog wolf friend in the wolf movie we love a wolf adds friend. in even more because there's another movie called or book slash movie a uh-huh. jack london book called call of the wild yes that has a dog and a guy yes so you and think i'm they thinking were trying to like they're trying to float cash off in that. on that <laughs> with cry in the wild uh-huh and then maybe added in the this wolf character side ca- you know like potential because in uh, I'm not. Th- I'm only five chapters in, but I read this book a lot as a child, and I would be astounded if I forgot that he has like a pet wolf in this. Because I'm pretty positive he does not. Speaking of the wolf, um, this movie apparently has three sequels, and you're gonna love the titles. They are White Wolves: A Cry in the Wild Two, White Wolves Two: oh Legend God. of the Wild, and White Wolves Three: Cry of the White Wolf. Oh my God. That is that is some fast and furious <laughs> <Right>? naming <laughs> conventions going on there. White Wolves, A Cry in the Wild 2. White Wolves 2, Legend of the Wild. White Wolves 3, Cry of the White Wolf, Wild. Uh, so this film was originally released <sighs> in 1990. Uh, in, on September of 1991, it aired for the first time on television in the U.S. It aired on PBS as part of a series, Wonderworks. Hmm. Uh, this movie has a 5.6 on IMDb and 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Could not find it on Metacritic. Not the only place you can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so IMDb listed uh, a couple of goofs Ooh. that are apparently in this movie, so we can watch out for those. Uh, the first one, um, when Brian first flees from the mosquitoes and takes refuge under a log, the shadow of a boob mic can be seen sweeping across the lower right of the screen. So you can okay, be on the lookout look for, for that. that. Uh, and 51 minutes into the film, when the bear walks past Brian's camp at night, an inverted reflection of the campfire appears, rising up and then floating in midair at center screen. That might not be a goof. That might just be a lens artifact. I'll have to look for yeah. it. So, cause well, light, yeah, I'll have to look for it. Light does weird things in camera lenses. Like, it's not uncommon. You know, like when you see the, like, it's called bo- boca, boca or whatever. Like those little weird floaty lights. Like when you zoom yeah. in on lights and like with a zoom lens. and Light lenses are lots of layers of glass and like, right. and they reflect things. And like light can do really weird things in them. So I wouldn't be surprised if. The floating campfire is just the like a like essentially like a lens flare from mm-hmm. the campfire. I don't know. Without yeah, I'm, seeing I'm it. interested to see what this thing that's yeah. described here because looks to me, like. to me, just being a person who knows a little bit about <laughs> cameras and stuff, so, that sounds to me just like uh, an artifact from the lens. That's not like a goof so much as it could be classified as a goof because you can shoot it in a way where you wouldn't have that happen. But it also could just be a way that it. it I don't know. We'll see. 
Um, so uh, since you included a review in your book facts, um, I actually I would have included this anyway because I like it. Uh, the top review on IMDb gave this movie a four out of ten and stated, I came away from this movie with the feeling that it could have been so much better. Instead of what should be a gripping, tense story of a boy's fight for survival in the wilderness, it comes off as a National Geographic document documentary meets Columbia Sportswear ad. Hmm. So we I, have that to look I'm forward to. I'm totally expecting to pick the book. Yeah, I'm. I would be blown away if I. <laughs> there's zero percent chance. I'm fully I'm expecting the, this to be like a not good, bad, or bad, bad. Yeah, I think it's probably be a not particularly good movie. Um, I will say that if it comes off as a National Geographic documentary, that's not too far off from the book's vibe. <laughs> like we're we're not like terribly far off there. Uh, but yeah, the Columbia Sportswear ad, interesting, interesting. Katie, where can it be watched? Um, nowhere. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can check with your local library or if you still have a, a video rental store. Um, I mean, you can check. You can check. Uh, but this movie like does not exist. No. Um, I tried to search for it. I use the Just Watch app and I have like every single possible yeah. option selected on that. Nothing comes up. Like it's I've looked for movies on there before where it's like, oh, this isn't streaming anywhere. This just is not on the app it yeah. doesn't exist yeah um we were able to find a copy on youtube which is the only reason we're doing this yeah if we because had if not we found that copy able, on we youtube would have, we, we would have not redirected yeah um and we will share that on facebook twitter and on our patreon so yeah. if you want to watch along with us um head over there um what i will do I'll, I'll post it on its own but i will also post it as a comment replying to the prequel episode which i always pin at the top of our page yeah. um on facebook and twitter so you should be able to find it pretty easily um it's also available to buy on dvd on amazon i actually yeah. ordered us a copy because oh, really? so i started watch <laughs> i started looking at the youtube version Is i don't want to put people off from watching the youtube version but it's not great quality yeah it, it's watchable but it's it, the sound is kind of like mixed weird and uh and since we watch it together like i think it would be easier to watch with headphones okay on a computer even still you're getting like some sound in one ear and other sound mm -hmm. in the other ear it's a little annoying um but it's watchable and i want to say it's it's not unwatchable on youtube but you can get it for like 12 bucks on dvd on amazon uh which is what i did just and because uh, i knew we'd I'd get it by this weekend so we could watch it so um too late for you unfortunately <laughs> But it is available on Amazon. I think it was Amazon. Yeah. And I think it was Prime. I think I got it. I think it's supposed to be here like tomorrow. But uh, anyway, so it's also available there. But yeah, watch it on YouTube. Uh, it's just yeah. since we watch it on a TV and stuff, I was like, I'm just going to order the DVD. It's 10 bucks. Um, and, you know, if you do happen to find it streaming yes. anywhere, especially if you're outside the U.S. because it's hard for us you know to what? search. Just let us know. <laughs> and we can share that information. Yeah. But do look for A Cry in the Wild. Yes. Because there's another movie called Cry in the Wild yes. that is not the same thing. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I think they changed the name for that dumb call in the wild, a call of the wild or whatever. Yeah. But that's so stupid. Hatchet, if, if it's the only thing called Hatchet. Yeah. Like it's, and it's a great title. It's a great title. You don't know. It's just like, woof. It gets right to the point. 
so dumb. Anyways. <laughs> all right. That's going to do it for this prequel episode. Uh, we thank you once again for joining us on uh, this adventure as we learned a little bit and uh, talked a little bit about Hatchet slash Cry in the Wild. <laughs> uh, we'll be back in one week's time to discuss Hatchet slash Cry in the Wild. And until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, and everybody else, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and keep being awesome.